This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and I am joined by my one-star co-host and podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Martinez. It's been about a week since we have been on, and Gerard, this is going to be maybe not the happiest of shows for USC fans. We've been, you know, talking about a lot of good things going on with the program, but we're talking about what is USC's first, I guess, recruiting L of the Lincoln-Riley era with the Josh Connerly recruitment. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get into all that stuff. There is some good news. You know, USC did pick up a big 2024 commitment in Dylan Williams out of Long Beach Poly, building that 2024 class, which is now number two in the country. There's a new crystal ball we got to talk about. There are some big visitors on campus. We have some questions to get to. We want to talk about your target list for April that you just put up. There is a lot to get into. And yes, the Connerly situation will be the focus. But I think for the Colt Open, I think we're just going to broaden that term. And for the Colt Open today, we're going to just kind of talk about offensive line in general. We're talking about the current offensive line, what USC probably needs to do moving forward to kind of offset the loss of Connerly, the Connerly situation in general. So all those things are kind of falling under this umbrella of the offensive line. And I know you wanted, we wanted to start, I keep saying you, Gerard, this is our show. We, I'm part of this. We want to talk about just what USC has going on right now, now that you cannot slot Connerly in for this team in the summer and the fall. He's not going to be part of this team, obviously, going to Oregon. So what is USC left with? Well, it's an interesting mixed bag. You know, you have those good, solid top five. You have the sixth guy, Bobby Haskins, coming off that foot surgery, which we're going to talk about. You wrote a really good piece, kind of where does USC go from here after losing Connerly, a what now piece uh, for offensive line recruiting. USC is in a decent spot with the guys that they have now, but they still badly need some depth, and they're going to have to hit the portal really hard to try to bring in at least, I would say in my opinion, at least two guys, at least a guy who can maybe push for a starting job at a tackle position and a guy who can at least be a body for you on the two deep at the interior position because they're awfully thin at that position. So, Gerard, give me your thoughts. Where do they stand? Well, I think this is the first podcast where maybe you don't want to have the we. <laughs> you want to okay. distance yourself from the Josh Connerly implosion uh, from uh, the USC fan base. And certainly it was a huge loss for USC. And we don't want to make this podcast completely about Josh Connerly because we know that there's a lot of USC fans and having uh, moderated the board for the past week, uh, trying to just get over and move on to the next. And that was kind of what this piece was about. It really wasn't so much about losing Connerly. It's so much about, okay, what does USC actually have on the depth chart at offensive tackle right now? And, and you mentioned there's some tools there 
that USC are trying to develop. There are some players that have some ability that they're trying to develop. I think the biggest thing is that USC has not had a franchise offensive tackle uh, probably since, what, 2017, and, and not had an actual number one offensive tackle sign with the program since Matt Khalil, and that's going back to 2008. So it's been a very, very long time since USC has been uh, at the top of the recruiting game in terms of bringing in offensive linemen. And I've talked before in the last podcast, and we have talked, you know, since then, and um, having to eat a lot of good content that we had about Connerly and, and, and sort of uh, – A lot of good tweets I had ready, Gerard. I just want to let you know. I had a, yeah, a, lot, a lot of fire lot, in the drafts. Know, thousands of words of content <laughs> and things. And so – you know, we'll talk a little bit about that in terms of just the postmortem of, of what really went on, because I, I think there's some people that have questions there. Um, but I think, you know, looking at what USC has, um, you know, redshirt freshman Mason Murphy has been a player that, you know, kind of caught our eye really last year. I think he was a good looking player. He played a lot of left tackle uh, for USC um, with scout team and he was moving around a little bit, but kind of was more on the left side. Uh, redshirt sophomore Cortland Ford obviously has some starting experience for USC. Um, that's the kid that, you know, early on in the process was a four star, was a guy that was committed to LSU. And then there was all this controversy about him getting hurt. And there was all these rumors about him getting hurt. And then he kind of dropped in the rankings and USC was able to kind of scoop him up, uh, at the end of the year. Um, they have redshirt a sophomore Jonah Monheim, who we loved on film coming out of high school and is still a guy that I think shows a lot of promise. Maybe a better interior guy ultimately than an exterior guy on the edge, but still a very uh, solid player. Um, and then Bobby Haskins, who you mentioned, uh, the grad transfer from Virginia. Um, I do think it's notable to talk about the foot injury with Bobby Haskins because yeah. that's another transfer coming in that's got an injury. And we've seen that happen twice already with USC where they've almost got bamboozled and not done their homework in terms of medical stuff. And you got Jake Smith and you've got Ishmael Sopcher who never played for USC. I mean, Sopcher played one down and you really got to be careful with that kind of thing. And the foot surgery is, you know, you're talking about off to lineman. He's putting a lot of weight on his foot. So I don't know where he sits in terms of his rehab and what have you, but you cross your fingers and hope that he's able to come in and bring some depth in. But of those players, I mean, you've been down the practice and you've seen these guys play a little bit, you know, obviously our, our, view of practice and, and anything that's competitive is very limited. Um, but I mean, in terms of bodies and, and what have you, I mean, with Cortland Ford, there's a good example of a guy that, you know, has just to progress uh, some of the tools that he already has. Again, these guys have some of the tools. What do you see from that group, first and foremost, that is there, you know, instead of looking at what USC could get, what does USC have right now? Yeah, the bodies are something that really stands out when you're looking at offensive linemen, and specifically with this group of offensive linemen, with this sort of new strength and conditioning uh, staff that's been in place in sort of the earlier winter workouts, I feel like you can definitely see a difference in terms of the bodies that you're seeing. I mean, specifically with those tackle guys. I mean, we talked to Mason Murphy on Tuesday. He looks great. I mean, he looked good coming in, but, you know, he, he obviously had that sort of that foot injury last year that kind of cost him the end of his uh true freshman season. It ended up being a broken foot, which I mentioned on the Parasol podcast, and you had just mentioned, you know, it's 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 not a great thing when you have a, a offensive lineman kind of getting a foot surgery, but he did have a fracture in his foot 
ended up having to get a screw placed in there. So you have to kind of watch that. But he said he's healthy. He's feeling good. You know, Murphy is a guy we've heard plenty about from the from people inside of Heritage Hall. Is like they're a guy they're really high on. You know, he's playing specifically left tackle. He's that backup left tackle right now. He's showing off his athleticism, showing off his ability to handle edge rushers and his footwork. You know, he was a pretty athletic guy coming out of uh, Jay Sarah, kind of played defensive line too. So kind of that kind of has that athleticism to play both ways, what like he did in high school. Um, the other one is Jonah Monheim. Monheim has certainly put on some weight, and you can definitely tell. He he was kind of looking like a in his, in last season. He was kind of looking a little bit slimmer um, up top, but talking to him now, you can kind of see his chest is filled out a lot more, and he's kind of noticed that he noted. Uh, when I talked to him last week, that he's kind of up to 290, that 300 range. So I think he was in he uh, he was about 2 280 last year playing at that weight. So that's a significant you know gain. And he talked about how his body feels different. Uh, Voorhees always looks the same, just kind of the strongest offensive lineman on the team. I know uh, Brent Nealon, they they have been setting some new weight room marks uh this offseason so that's always a good sign when you're seeing your your offensive line guys put up better numbers in the weight room um but for those you know guards like Justin Dietrich and Brett Nealon especially Dietrich who's always been sort of a built guy you know I kind of see a little bit more muscle on him but nothing as that jumps out as much as you know a guy like Mason Murphy or a guy like Cortland Ford who has looked the part since he stepped on campus but he just looks so much more slimmed down and barrel chested um, he looks the part. He looks fantastic. You know, he's really excited about this line and this offense in general because it allows him to pull and showcase some of that, some of that athleticism. And some of what we haven't really talked about is Max Gibbs. I know he's not going to factor in, in being, you know, a guy who could potentially start, but right now he's operating on the second team right guard spot. And man, he looks great. I mean, he has, he was playing at about 400 pounds last year, if you could believe that. And then he says he's about 370 right now. So he's dropped about 30 pounds. He wants to get about 20 more pounds off, play at 350. And man, you know, you could definitely tell in his waist, he's lost a lot of that, you know, bad looking weight that he had. His chest looks bigger. His arms look bigger. And he already had some big arms, but that strength and conditioning staff has done, a, done wonders for him. And that was sort of the big issue with him is can he reach that potential by putting that work in the weight room and sort of, you know, in in a college nutrition program and for the most part it looks like yes the answer is yes he's working he's working that progression he's taking a step forward i don't think he's ready to kind of be a guy who could be thrown in and play if someone went down you know that might be the case if they can't you know get someone in the interior from the portal but i think he's a definitely a guy who can see make a little bit of a jump just that he did get playing experience last year as a defensive lineman so he has a little bit of confidence but if you can get him into some blowouts this year, get him some experience actually playing in a game, actual college snaps, I think that's going to do wonders for his confidence going to 2023 when I think is the year he can kind of contribute and be a guy who competes for a starting job, but he needs some of those reps this year. But all in all, you know, that top that top five looks really solid in terms of what their bodies have been going through and what their changes are, and then you have really – two guys that have looked like they're developing quite nicely in Mason Murphy and kind of Max Gibbs there in the back end as well. So I think that's a really good start. Obviously, you really want Haskins to be healthy and not have long-term issues with that foot. That gives you a top solid six. And then hopefully you can pull in two guys from the portal 
kind of, like I mentioned, help out on the edge and maybe help out fill in, fill in in the interior. So that'd be eight guys in total, 10 if you're counting the development of uh, Murphy and Gibbs. So if you could do that, I think USC would be in a really good spot to kind of get through this 2022 season with that offensive line. The one thing that I mentioned early on the board, which might be a bit of a positive, and, you know, it's definitely looking for the positive. It's not something yeah. that jumps out at you when you it's a five-star guy that number one player overall at his position. Uh, but the fact that, you know, USC bringing in a transfer would be probably less of an obstacle for them recruiting in the 2023 class. And yeah. so, you know, you look at the transfers and you look at the guys that are potential immediate players that could come in and contribute and push for a starting job. And, and you know, ironically, the same week uh, that USC loses Connerly, you get Georgia who drops two five-star former offensive linemen into the portal, Amarius Mims and Clay Webb, uh, two former five-stars, both from the South. Uh, Amarius Mims, everybody's saying is probably going to look at Miami. Uh, Miami's already sort of got a bit of a foothold in there with him. NIL is going to be a very big deal for him. So we'll see if USC is able to get any traction there. I know that they're trying to get traction. Uh, so is Texas. So is Florida State. Uh, so we'll see if if that becomes uh, a sort of quick thing. And Miami, boom, 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 he ends up going there. Or he wants to sort of actually look at the NIL deals and uh, play the field a little bit, which would be to the advantage of USC to be able to at least get him on campus and, uh, you know, that's a guy that even though he didn't start for Georgia, he did play second team. He was getting starting reps in spring ball. Uh, most of him not playing right away had to do with a guys that were experienced in front of him were very good players. It is Georgia. They did win the national championship. They have good players. I think there's a five star Roderick Jones who was starting in front of him for Georgia last year. But people feel like he's very raw, but still has the potential to be a first-round pick. Georgia did not want him to leave. Clay Webb, on the other hand, did not really play for Georgia. He didn't play at all last year. I think he played in three games previous year. So he just did not compete for a starting job. And from everything I was reading from our Georgia site, it just sounded like he couldn't keep on the weight. Um, he was just having issues playing at that high level in the SEC. That's not an issue with Mims. So Mims is one of those few guys that coming out of the porthole could potentially actually come in and start for you right away. So and I just wanted to jump in quickly with Webb that there is sort of a red flag in his case, some off the field stuff that he, he was named in a lawsuit in 2020, a, a, a bullying lawsuit back from his high school days that it's not good when you read through it. So obviously uh, innocent until proven guilty. I don't want to repeat some of the details on there, but it is sort of a red flag and something a coaching staff will have to do their homework about because it it's not a good look. Yeah, I don't think Clay Webb's going to be a guy that they would look at, mostly because he's actually a center prospect. So that in and of itself, and and like you said, there's some off-field question marks there. Uh, I think Mims is the guy that you really circle and try to get him on campus for an official visit. He is one of those few guys that you can bring in that could potentially – compete for a starting job right off the bat without any spring ball. Um, another guy that jumped into the porthole today was Derek Hunter. Uh, now, for some contrast, uh, looking at some of the players that are rated, um, you know, Bobby Haskins is a .88. Uh, for contrast, Liam Douglas, the former interior offensive lineman at USC, .87. Casey Collier, 
former offensive tackle at USC, point eighty eight, uh, .86. So you really want to get above that .88 rating uh, for an offensive lineman if you're looking at a player that's going to actually compete for a starting job uh, at USC next season, somebody that's even better than Bobby Haskins. And so you have Derek Hunter, who's a point eighty nine seventy four. So this is a, a decently high four-star prospect out of Texas A&M, originally from Fort Myers, Florida. We're not really sure um, the background of him yet. Uh, I have to talk to my guys there in Texas A&M to see how much he actually played. Um, you know, like I said, with uh, Mims, that's a kid that's got a lot of potential. Even though he wasn't a starter uh, last year, uh, he was pushing for starting reps, and he was a guy that made – a lot of headway in terms of his potential and the physical potential that he has. So I think that's a guy that as a left tackle, one of those very few players in the porthole that USC could have a shot at that uh, would actually be a guy that could come in and help them right away at left tackle. So uh, there's not a ton of high end talent that's, you know, of that ilk in the portal. Obviously, there's new guys that pop up every day, so you don't want to say that that's not an option because it could be an option tomorrow. You know, there could be two or three guys that all of a sudden pop up in the portal after spring ball and become options at left tackle for USC. And I think looking further down the line, as I kind of initially talked about, that kind of clears the way a little bit for the 2023 class. You bring in Josh Connerly, that's a true freshman, that's going to be a bit of an obstacle that you have to recruit around when you're trying to get some of the top 2023 offensive tackles. And USC is in a decent position right now for two of the top players, maybe three of the top players nationally in the 2023 class. You have Brayden in uh, Florida, IMG Academy, five-star offensive tackle, Francis Magoa. We have Clearwater, Clearwater International, four-star offensive tackle, Lucas Simmons. Uh, USC is also in a decent shot. With Arlington Bowie, four-star off to tackle Isaiah Robinson. Uh, we know locally they're doing a good job with Orange El Medina, four-star off to tackle Eliza Jacket. Uh, you mentioned Eliza Page um, as another guy that USC is recruiting really well and, and likes USC a lot. So you have some decent players, not even just from the top end standpoint, from a depth standpoint, that are looking at USC. You know, obviously there's going to be the season that's played. There's going to be things that have to happen in order for USC to close the deal on some of these players. The biggest red flag of losing Josh Connolly was the fact that USC had a lead for him. And that lead was dissipated by Oregon over the course of a month. Oregon was not supposedly even in his top five uh, or his final five uh, in January. And he decided to kind of wait a little bit and then include Oregon at the end. So you saw Oregon make up a lot of ground on USC and that is not a good sign. So USC has to be able to close with these top players. And obviously that brings us into NIL and how that's a wild card and a variable in these recruitments nowadays. Yeah. NIL has sort of been the constant theme in this Connerly situation and kind of has opened up again in terms of a national discussion because you know, uh, Lincoln Riley was asked about NIL and its, and its effect on recruiting on Saturday, you know, less than 24 hours after USC had just, you know, taken this loss of losing out Connerly to, to the Ducks. And, you know, he's kind of sounded off on it and he kind of had some strong words on how it has completely changed 
everything about recruiting. It doesn't even resemble, you know, what they were doing before. And he kind of mentioned, you know, it kind of puts some things out into the light of what, what people are doing. And he kind of mentioned that, you know, he doesn't think NIL should have any part in recruiting. And it's just changed it so much that it's not good for the game when you have sort of these, you know, you know, you have these like juniors in high school getting $8 million deals that will pay them 8 mil by the time they're a junior in college. He was asked about that specific situation. And, you know, he's all for players, you know, getting money for their using their name, image, and likeness uh, when, once they're in college. But to see to see it being used as sort of this recruiting tool and kind of changing how the game is played at the high school level when you're recruiting these, you know, these juniors and seniors, you know, he thinks that, there needs to be the NCAA and people need to step in. And he said, he kind of said, you know, it's, it's kind of good that something crazy and outlandish, like someone getting $8 million as a junior in high school happened because it, it forces people to kind of look at it and go, this, this is, this can't be, you know, the norm now. This, this can't be the, you can't set this precedent. We need people to step in and kind of figure out a smoother path to the, to this NIL thing, you know. He, he had mentioned that him and others had kind of spoken up about how, you know, you're kind of rushing out NIL without any real safeguards about how it will affect recruiting or, or questions about that. And they kind of just put it out there. And now you're seeing the results of not being re- not having that that space of NIL and recruiting being planned out. And now you're kind of seeing the aftermath of that. You're seeing these deals. You're seeing, you know, NIL sort of affect these these recruitments, which, you know. I think none of us were naive and we were kind of waiting for all this to happen. And we, we figured it was going to get to that point at, at this point. And I think a lot of people kind of want to blame NIL for the Connerly loss. I think it was a, a, a multitude of things, but I certainly think that NIL definitely played a large part in this recruitment in the end. I don't know if that's what you feel like. I think one thing that is, becoming very apparent is that the families of the recruits realize that NIL talk is not very palatable for the college football fan. College football fans are still kind of cloaked in amateurism. And I think we do have to acknowledge the difference between a college football fan and a pro football fan. And this is where it gets, it gets dicey because they are two very different animals. You know, you have college football fans that are alums of these universities. Okay. They paid a lot of money to go to those universities. They see going to those universities as an honor. They were yeah. uh, admitted to those universities. So you sort of wear that as a badge. You spent four, five, maybe six years, got a doctorate, got a PhD at that university. You walk those halls. You have a personal connection to that place. Pro football fan does not have a personal connection to the Las Vegas Raiders or the (laughs) New York Giants or the Miami Dolphins. It just doesn't have the same connection. They don't have that same personal connection to the facilities, to those places, to those names, to those faces, the buildings. History. It's history. So when you go and tell this alum, hey, this player went and picked this school over the other school because we paid him millions of dollars to do so. 
it's hard, I think, for people to kind of figure that out and to, to wrap their heads around that right now. Maybe there's a time and place, but I think the families know we're going to play this down because we saw it with Caleb Williams. We saw it with Nico Ayamayaleva, and we've seen it now with Josh Connerly that, oh, no, 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 doesn't have anything to do with NIL. And listen, this is also private information that is being negotiated between the families and these boosters, donors, slash corporations that are involved with the universities, right? So you have basically right now, because it's the wild, wild west, and a lot of these families do not have agents. And if they have lawyers, it's sort of after the fact to look at whatever contract we may be put in front of them. The negotiation is really right now, for the most part, happening between stepdads, dads, uh, trainers, uh, god uncles, and those type of people with the corporations or the boosters themselves, which are professional businessmen, and then it has to be vetted by the university, which says in their interpretation of the NIL rules, this is legal, and then given over to the NCAA, which says, okay, we're going to rubber stamp that as legal. So it's a very, very vague sort of thing, and, and it's, you know, financial and private, and it should be, quite frankly. I mean, the Nico Aymaileva story with him getting $8 million came out, and it leaked, and I don't really know how it leaked or what have you. Um, it, like Lincoln Riley sort of said, and he wasn't, you know, obviously spe- specifically talking about Nico. Um, I don't think that was, you know, the, a name drop, but that's the connection to the story, which came out when he committed to Tennessee. That whole alleged thing it may be a good thing you know, for, for college football, for people to kind of get more transparency. I mean, that was the hope with NIL is that all that money under the table was all of a sudden going to get above the table and people could sort of know what was going on. But now, you know, it's escalated very quickly and we've seen the money go out. And you, you just, I was talking to a Pac-12 coach last night and he does not coach at a school which is going to be giving these kind of deals. And I said, how are you guys going to be able to survive? How how are you able to compete? I mean, how are you going to be? You're, there's no way you're going to be competing with this handful of schools right now that are in the headlines over these NIL deals. And this and again, I, and I have to stress this every time we talk about NIL, the schools themselves are not supposed to be directly involved with it. The schools right. are just involved with it so much as they can say that this is illegal that the boosters are not just paying the kids to play. Like it has to be an actual endorsement sponsorship. There has to be something involved there, why they're being paid. Um, but that's obviously the interpretation of that is all over the map right now. You know, we've seen a lot of people being critical of, of things that Texas has done, things that Miami have done, so on and so forth. And yet it's really right now a sort of culture of uh, better to ask for forgiveness and permission in terms of what they're doing with NIL deals. So yeah, it's one of those things that I just think that you're not going to hear a lot about it. It's not going to be the first thing out of somebody's mouth to say, well, you know what? I'm really looking for NFL development and a great NIL deal. (laughs) And that's what it is. Because again, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right to the college football fan. And I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, Ole Miss, okay. Ole Miss. The 2000 tuition fees for the University of Mississippi are $9,000, well, $9,044 for Mississippi residents and $25,886 for out-of-state students. Okay, so we compare that with USC. The tuition for USC and fees for the University of California 
eighty or sixty one thousand dollars, sixty one five hundred and three dollars, sixty one thousand five hundred and three dollars compared to out of state residents twenty five thousand dollars. So you're talking about not even half as much, and somebody decides that they're going to go to USC over Ole Miss, but they're only going to USC because you know USC had some type of NIL deal, right? That that's like not a that this seems wrong. That just doesn't seem it's like what you know, you you Trojan fans are like, no, you should go to USC because USC is so much better of a school. You know how I know? Because you have to pay more than double to go there. But that's just not that's not what we have right now. You know, with kids are looking to be paid to go to these colleges. And it's it's uh it's 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 tough to swallow, I think, for a lot of people that are alums and they have a special connection to those universities. Uh, to know the only reason those kids are going to those universities is because someone's paying them to do so. Um, so that is, uh, part of the NIL issue. And, and people want to know, well, what was the NIL deal that Oregon gave him? You're not going to know that. That's, that's private information. Then you, Oregon doesn't want that out. And, and if Nike's involved, they probably don't want that out because Nike's got a lot of deals with a lot of other programs. So you think that they really wanted, you know, it out that, oh yeah, we paid this much money and we, we helped Oregon this much. And then, and then the other schools are going, well, where are you helping us? You know, what are you doing for us? We, you, don't you, you know, sponsor us with apparel deals? Well, aren't we wearing your gear as well? But so it's, yeah, the, the transparency, unfortunately, has not followed through. That's the, the, the big, um, advantage and, and positive to all this was, you know, getting things out there and like, okay, you know, if kids want to get paid, they should get paid, etc. But let's get the money on the table. But that's not really, you know, what's going on right now There's still a lot of sort of secrecy involved in it. And you know, it's a it's a rock and a hard place because it, it, you listen, if it's my kids and my family, and, and we're going through the cream process, do I necessarily want all my public uh, or all my private financial information of, 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 of what my son is, is making. And, and do you want that even out there from the standpoint of him going to the school? And now everybody's looking at Nico Aimeleva and they're like, Oh, the $8 million man. Right. You know, and, and he throws an interception. Oh, that was a two, $2 million interception. That's a lot of pressure for kids also. Oh yeah. Oh so yeah. So you want to keep you, so you don't really necessarily want that out there and, and that on their shoulders and that in the locker room where you've got, you know, players in that locker room may not be making any money. <laughs> it's a very complicated, sticky situation. So to the people that are kind of, you know, what want to know more information about what your organ did. And, and, and this, you know, what's amazing is, is listening to the vitriol coming from USC fans over this. And, and there's been some people that have been pretty unhinged about this thing. And they've gone after Brandon Huffman who, you know, because he made a crystal ball and then, you know, Greg was saying, hey, you know, he had that crystal ball and he didn't change it when he knew Josh Connolly was going to Oregon. A lot of people feel like that's a credibility issue. Listen, as far as I know, Brandon told me he knew at 530 where Oregon was going before a six o'clock or excuse me, before Connolly was going before a six o'clock announcement. I knew about 10 minutes after that. I knew about 20 minutes before Josh Connolly made his announcement that he was not picking USC. So I, all this stuff about he knew midweek and I, 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 that's not true. That's been for Brandy told me and our conversations and, and, you know, having pre-writes and things written up, ready to talk about this big commitment for USC. We all had him going to USC. Yeah. And I think what people sort of need to realize with sort of the crystal ball predictioning 
predicting is not a word. The crystal ball prediction making process. It's it's. I know you didn't have a, a pick with uh, USC and Josh Carnell. I know you're sort of taking a crystal ball sabbatical, but I did put a crystal ball in, and that's sort of a crystal ball I've been wanting to make for a while. And we don't usually, or I don't usually put in a crystal ball until you have, you know, built up a, I would say like a, a, a folder of information of what it goes into making that pick. And we had felt really solid about Connerly and USC for, you know, several months. You know, we, we've talked about it. He took multiple visits, you know, after that official visit, USC was the leader for him and we just had felt very good. You know, we both gave our prediction percentages on this, on this podcast. And I think I was like at 75, you were like at 85 or something like that. We were pretty high on it. And, you know, to undo what we feel was a pretty good pick or I felt was a really good pick at the time, you know, it it takes a lot. And instead of, you know, Oh, you're kind of hearing some murmurs, you know, murmurs are never good or smoke, as you like to say, but there just had felt so much good uh, intel over the last couple months about USC and Connerly. You thought maybe it was like a little bit of a smoke screen to kind of put a little bit more, you know, spice onto the announcement or whatever, because it did have the overwhelming crystal ball presence for USC going into it. You know, the visit, in hindsight, you look back, it, it's never a good thing when you get that unofficial visit, but it also could have, be, could, could have been seen as sort of like a desperation Hail Mary, but in the age of NIL, you know, now we're going to have to be a lot more cognizant of that. But, you know, it takes a lot to kind of move you off something you have sort of been building to for two months. And it wasn't until like the last second where we kind of got word that, the Ducks were end up, were the ones that were going to pull this out. And at that point, you know, I hate to use the term, you know, eat the crystal ball, but you kind of just have to let the chips fall. You know, you, you don't want to make, you don't just want to be the guy who switches the pick at the last second and, and take the, take that drama out of that moment for him. You know, you, you've been sitting on that pick for two months. You know, if it's sort of like the morning of on a on national signing day, you know, that's maybe a little bit different, but to do it like, right there at the buzzer that that kind of feels you know it, it's different i feel like yeah. when when you have these these picks in you know sometimes you get the word right there five minutes that you're at the signing and it's like all right i, I just have to eat the pick yeah and brandon is hosting and, and co-hosting and being involved in that actual announcement so yeah it's you know he's got a relationship with but Connerly and obviously Connerly kind of gave him a heads up there right before what was happening. Look at this is what I'm going to do. And, but don't say anything. And that's, you know, we've talked about this before. That's the precarious position that we've been in a lot in the past two, three years with crystal balls is we've become more popular. The kids know more about them. Uh, and they want to have these announcements and, you know, it's like some big surprise. And I don't, I, you know, that, that in and of itself seems tired and old, you know, just the whole, yeah. You know, big announcement. It's, it's going to be a surprise hats on the table. It just seems like, you know, we've, we've been doing that for the past 20 years. It's kind of time to just, and maybe that's what's going to change with NIL as well is that you're going to have some of these corporations, these companies are going to get involved now and they're going to say, Hey, we're going to announce our way. <laughs> we're going to do it our way. You're going to go to our facility or wherever and, um, you're going to do an announcement that way. And that will just be how it is. You know, it'll be a press release. 
and it'll be done more professionally. You know, it's done. But, you know, we got to get to that point where things are more organized that way. Um, but I think that's probably what ends up coming. It's not just going to be uh, graphics on Twitter or, or little streaming, um, you know, uh, announcements. It's, it's just going to be, you know, this kid's getting endorsed and he's going to go that route and he's going to endorse that company when he announces that he's going to be a part of that company. Again, it's just like a press release, just as we see. It's just different, though, because, you know, with franchises, you have – the control of the franchise over that they are paying that player directly and they take care of all that. They have a PR department here. The schools cannot be involved to that extent. right. So the schools can't, can't organize that. They can't be involved in that whatsoever. It has to be this company uh, run by what's probably going to be a donor at some level uh, that is going to have to be involved with that. And it's going to have to be their PR company and what have you. And, it's a weird uh, forecast, but it's what's going to happen. But it definitely also makes the prediction of these things a little bit difficult. There's going to be some wild stuff that happens. And, again, it's not happening above the table necessarily. Well, I don't want to say it that way. That's the wrong way to put it. it, it it's just not happening in broad daylight. It's not, you yeah. know, they're, they're going to announce, okay, you know, we've 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 upped our, our deal. It's not like, you know, one NFL team – uh, offering a free agent more money than another NFL team. You know, that, that stuff gets out there. It's, you're talking about again, these companies that you know, you've never heard of before. And, and these, these, these people that you never heard of before that are, that are doing these deals. And Gerard, it's happening. It's happening on the table, but just in the back room. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Behind closed doors, you know, basically. Yeah. And, and that we're just, this, you're not going to hear about that stuff. It's in the, bo- the boardroom. It's like, in the boardroom. Yeah. It's like, boom. And so, yeah, that's just the, that's just the nature of recruiting going forward. And, um, what, what, how, how you can get that genie back in the bottle, you know, to the extent where, you know, Lincoln Riley's saying it shouldn't be a part of recruiting. I mean, I hear what he's saying, but there's no way it's not going to be a part of recruiting. If schools are Someone going will to always find a way yeah, to kind of get through it, you know, if somebody involved with the school that is trying to vicariously help the school win and be a part of the program that way as a donor, they're going to want to use that as a carrot to get the kid to a school, right? Like that's just like anything else. Like, Hey, we built a bunch of facilities. It's like saying, you know, you can't talk about your facilities during the recruiting process. Like we, we want the kids to have the best facilities. We want them to have the best weight rooms. We want them to be healthy. We want them to have uh great medical facilities. So anytime they get hurt, but you can't use that in the recruiting process. Like you can't tour those facilities. You can't talk about those facilities that's never going to happen. Like the, the people put money in those facilities because it's part of the recruiting process, just like everything else. So yeah, the NIL deals, the deals that will be made, I, I don't know what kind of restrictions there are in terms of the schools talking about deals that have been made because we've already heard Nick Saban say publicly, Oh yeah, Bryce Young, he's already got million dollar deals. You don't think that's recruiting? That's Nick Saban recruiting right there. He's telling yeah. people that because he knows the recru- recruits are listening to that. And so that perks everybody's ears up. Now, Alabama isn't doing that directly. They can't do that directly. It has to be people that are outside the program that are facilitating those deals. But the schools are going to use those deals and talk about those deals and whatever historic deals are made and say, yeah, the big greatest NIL deal 
yet has been made by this university. Well, not this university, but the people that are very close to this university. You know the guy whose name is on that? Yeah, that, that practice facility over there? Well, he made that deal. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, ooh, it's, it's very sticky. It's very, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know, uh, how, how it's going to get sorted out. If it's going to get sorted out, it kind of makes you think, man, we're headed to a farm system in college football that eventually these universities just, it's not going to work. Uh, and Uncle Sam, you know who's, you know who's listening to this? Uncle Sam. That's who's listening to this. And he is listening closely. And, uh, there's any indication that, uh, the universities are, are getting too close in this and are getting too involved in this. Uh, they're going to have to be paying taxes and that's what they don't want to do. You know, and that's, that's the other part of all this that, uh, makes it very, very, um, complicated. Gerard, you, this was sort of a joke when we were starting this podcast, but you wouldn't let me call the podcast the Bagman podcast. Are you regretting that move as we are moving into this age of NIL? No, I'm not, because then it would, it would, it would imply that we were Bagman, which we're not, because that's a whole nother aspect of this stuff, which, you know, people I think get misconstrued that like we're involved with recruiting players like Josh Connerly. We were absolutely not a part of the recruiting process whatsoever. And, uh, we are scribes to history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're trying to, you know, stay out of the process, uh, as much as possible. I mean, I think that's, that's the, that's a, an issue that we have in our own industry is fans trying to get too close and trying to be involved and, you know, trying to, uh, you know, get in with families and you just, you get too involved and you're trying to persuade kids to go to the school that you're covering, which is, that's not our jobs whatsoever. That's, uh, that's a bad look. And so that's something that, you know, our industry um, needs to do, I think, a better job of uh, weeding those people out that are not, they don't have the right mindset coming in. You know, I mean, we need to be objective and we need to keep our distance and just call it like it is. Uh, you get too involved, you get too close, and then you become, uh, you know, very, uh, it's a little tainted, you know, by the process itself. And so, um, yeah, I, uh, Josh Connolly not going to USC for us is bad because we, you know, didn't have the content to put up for you, uh, the Trojan football fans. You know, that's what it ends up for us. Um, it was a lot of uh, hard work that went down the drain, basically. And uh, Ryan Abraham saying, so what are you putting up today? And it's like, well, <laughs> we had a, a – We're licking uh, our wounds. Yeah, we had a, our wounds kind of day. maybe a, a, a good podcast and maybe like two or three or four uh, content pieces, but – uh, we don't really have anything right now. We're kind of trying to scramble. I want to get into this question that was submitted to us that's in, on this topic of NIL and Josh Connerly and sort of Oregon, all the things we're talking about. So I wanted to move it up to this part of the show and not the, the question part at the end. We don't have to go super in deep on it, but I just thought it fit here. So I thought we could talk about it now. Um, I apologize because I don't have whoever sent it in. I don't have the name. Uh, so I apologize, but we are getting to the question. Uh, the question goes, seems like USC got beat out for Connolly because of NIL. Going forward, how does that affect the recruiting process versus Oregon? Example is Mateo, uh, that being Mateo Uyelele. Does USC have enough deep pocket alumni that can compete against Nike? And how does this affect what you guys do? Small example, I believe on one of your podcasts it was said USC is in a good position on a lot with Elijah Page. But what if Oregon or Texas A&M all of a sudden has interest in him? Thank you for the great work that you two do. Um, so thank you to mystery listener, questioner. Um, 
That is an interesting question. And Mateo is obviously an interesting example. Would it be the best example? I'm not sure because Mateo does have really good uh, musical interest and sort of being a music producer and stuff. So USC does have sort of a built-in boost with that, just with the Dr. Dre and the Jimmy Iovine, you know, school for music and all that sort of deals. And obviously Caleb Williams has already gotten a pretty good uh, beats Dr. Dre deal um, in his short time at USC. So that's obviously something, you know, that Mateo could look at. So I think just because Mateo is sort of a music producer, that sort of helps USC in that situation. But all things considered equal, if that wasn't the case, um, yeah, I mean, I think that would be an issue. I mean, Oregon is recruiting Mateo pretty hard. And the other point is, does USC have enough deep pocket alumni? I would say, yes, USC does have an, a lot of deep pocket alumni. Um, but I guess USC just needs a little bit more NIL juice. Well, the question is, it's not about do you have deep pocket alumni? It's if those alumni want to get into this racket. You know, do they want to a get in? It's, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a racket and, and people are going to find out, you know, when these kids, don't pan out you know what are you getting out of this as the investment is what you're saying because like what is what does the investment have to be on an eight million dollar investment for a player it has to be a national championship right obviously again we go back to the pro aspect of this is franchise paying a player a bunch of money they're playing for him services and those services equate to butts in the seats television money the university is getting that not the individuals that are doing these deals the individuals that are doing these deals are getting sponsorships from this. So they have to equate that on the books to some extent of making money from this deal. They have to make some type of money from this deal. Somewhere along the line, this particular player has to have enough of a draw for their company to be able to make them money. Otherwise, you're just pouring money into this, again, vicariously living through the university uh, hoping that they win more games, but that's all you're going to get from it. And if that doesn't pan out and those players don't pan out and not all these players will pan out, you're, you're not getting anything from it. And so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, how much skin do you really want to put into this game? It's, it's different than putting money into facilities uh, where you would get your name on a facility and there's sort of a, you know, a, a, a there's a, an aspect to that which gives you some type of uh, status within the university and connection to the university uh, when it's just giving money to players uh, from a shell company, which really isn't going to make any money from this sponsorship. Yeah, that becomes a really big question. And that's what some of the schools have been accused of doing and not really having true companies that, you know, they're going to make anything from any of this. It's just a shell. It's just a, a veil to be able to say, Hey, you know, you should go to this school. And so that's really what it comes down to. Like, you know, not how many rich donors do you have, but how many rich donors do you have are willing to just throw money uh, at kids and, and not really necessarily respect any, uh, expect anything in return except for wins. But again, when the wins don't come, how many of those guys are going to stick around for that? They're going to learn their lesson and say, you know, I got millions of dollars, but I ain't going to have millions of dollars if I keep putting it into high school kids um, you know, going in and just hoping they're just going to win a few more games, uh, from one season to the next. So, uh, that's, um, 
that's a question of uh, it's a, it's a well it's a well written question and, and it's a good question for the topic. Um, and, and in terms of uh, where USC goes for the future and you know the collectives that they may have with with various different things where alums could put you know money into a collective uh, sort of foundation company and and even how those work because those are a little interesting. Those are you know, they're legal right now, but again, like how much of those are actual companies that are, are, are using the services of that player, of that recruit to, to, you know, this is all supposed to be like, you know, the, the players are, are, are getting paid to do something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's their, their, their name, image and likeness is being used for something. And so that's what we keep coming back to. And, um, I don't know. It, it, right now, again, it's it's a lot of schools are just sort of pushing the envelope and doing whatever they can do and um, and, and selling it. And and there's also going to be, you know, and I, and I said this before, it's a wild, wild west. The flip side of it is how many of these deals go south for the kids and these kids don't get the money they think they're getting because that because there's going to be that shoe that drops. And we're not going to be hearing about that for another four or five years where, you know, such and such five star recruit signed with this school. And, you know, signed out of nowhere. And it was like, you know, you had all these schools that were the, the you know, the high states, the Alabamas and the USC's of the world. And then he ends up going to this other offshoot school. And it's like, wait, what? Well, it's NIL. But it turns out, you know, he didn't end up making all that money. He made, you know, a million dollars of the maybe, you know, seven million dollars, ten million dollars, whatever he was supposed to be making because, you know, he didn't really plan, you know, he didn't end up being the player that they thought he was going to be. And that in itself is going to be something that, uh, you know, the families and the kids on that end are going to have to watch out for. And that's where you'll start to get, you know, more agents and more, uh, as the more, there's more money and there's more, more, uh, potential risk there from the family side. That's when you're going to see them start to seek out more professional people. Um, right now, everybody just thinks it's, uh, hey, you know, go out there and try to get as much as you can and, uh, you know, get it before the next guy gets it, you know, before this thing sort of dries up. I think there's a feeling like what is right now is not going to last for long. So there's a little bit of, you know, getting out there and trying to get what you can uh, as soon as you can. Yeah, I mean, this is an, a perfect example of what you were just talking about. But look at Quinn Ewers at Ohio State. You know, he got a $1.4 million NIL deal, went to Ohio State, didn't play at all, was like third string. And then he was like, all right, I'm out going to Texas. So I wonder what the, uh, I wonder what the Ohio State booster who put that up kind of feels like right now. Well, exactly. And, and again, we don't know the, the details of, of that, that deal. Right. And, 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 and the thing is, we shouldn't. I mean, I'm not advocating for that necessarily. It's, it, it, that's, I wouldn't, I'm trying to put a picture of myself and my son just got a $1.84 million deal from Ohio State. I, I don't know that any, I would even want that out there first and foremost, but it, it says it's, it, it's for autographs. Yeah. For yeah. autographs. Right. So, so, you know, did he get any of that money? How many autographs did he sign? Uh, how, how, you know, was it, is there a contract involved as to he had to sign so many to get that much money? Um, I mean, literally came in, he signed a hundred autographs. They gave him a million dollars and, and then he said, Oh, cool. I'm done. And then transferred to Texas. If that's the case, yeah, 100%. That booster got burned and he's going to not, first and foremost, he's either not going to be involved in this anymore. Or if he is involved, he's going to make sure that he has an ironclad contract that he's only going to have that kid sign 10 
autographs a year and he's only going to get paid so much and he's going to have to go through there every year. But the Nico deal from what was reported, that's a $2 million deal each year and there's a contract involved. So, and what, and, and what does that contract actually, you know, hold Nico to, uh, alleged contract? I don't even want to say, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, it, we don't know what's what at this point, and, and I don't know enough about that. You know, I, I obviously uh, Nico Amelia was was kind of out of it for USC, so I wasn't following that recruitment. I will. The funny thing about it was, at this point, it was Oregon fans that were basically sounding like USC fans. If you went to the Oregon board after Nico signed with Tennessee, or shouldn't say signed, committed to Tennessee, isn't signed yet. Um, you know, Oregon fans are going crazy. They're panicking. They're, oh my God, Phil Knight's not contributing enough. Oh my God, where's Nike? Where's Nike? What are they doing? Oh my God. Oh my God, we need our, our boosters. We need our boosters. We need our boosters. And then, you know, they come, obviously Oregon learned <laughs> from that situation. So Josh Connerly comes up and, uh, now it's like, oh man, you know, he just wanted to be closer to home and, uh, he just, you know, loves the small, the small town Eugene. Uh, it's a lot like small town Seattle. Evidently, did you hear that? one chris that seattle yeah 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 uh college so similar vibes similar vibes similar vibes um yeah you know and it's 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 in every fan base wants to believe like oh no this kid picked our school because he just he loved our school and that's because they love their school that's the difference that's the connection right. that you know i love my school and i want the people to go to my school to appreciate what i appreciate it Right. It's, it, there's that, that vicarious sort of thing that, that, that they feel about that place that they went to and they don't want to hear, no, he just went there because he was paid to go there. He was just paid more money by that school to go there. And, and, and that, you know, then that's going to be more of what we're going to see here going forward. And you're going to have, uh, an interesting, you know, sort of, uh, layout of recruiting. I think it's going to be interesting to see if schools are able to stack talent like they have like is Alabama do they have deep enough pockets to be able to get all the four-star five-star guys that they've been able to get in the past or is you know Rutgers going to be able to pop up and and, and mm. have one booster that's just saying hey you know I'm gonna throw a couple million dollars at the problem and, and I'm gonna get that four-star guy and he's not gonna go to Alabama and then you know Iowa maybe has a guy or not you know there's those schools that can kind of throw some money and they're gonna make it interesting and there's going to be some like I said, as far as our job goes, really hard to predict, you know, like where's the kid really going? Cause at the last minute, somebody just comes in and just has a better deal. But for that particular prospect, that's their class. It's not the class of Alabama. It's not the class for Clemson. It's not the player that's going to make the class for Ohio state, but for that school, it's, he is, he's a, you know, a four-star guy. And it's like, that's our guy. We're going to go all in for him. And the other schools are going to go, eh, you know, we've got, <laughs> five other guys that we've got to do that for. And so that's going to make, very, you know, predicting all of this very, very difficult uh, for, for those guys. And then there's the schools that are just not going to be able to be involved and compete with it at all. And then you're going to wonder, okay, are they going to be able to be in, you know, division one college football anymore? Are we going to see this retract? I mean, I think if I had to guess, you're, you're going to see a retraction of college football programs that are playing against each other. It's not going to be, you know, the hundred and whatever teams play now, you're going to, you're going to see it shrink quite a bit and it's going to be sort of a, a national, you know, the SEC, maybe minus some schools, even in the SEC and, and then some big 10 schools. And, and, you know, is USC, maybe USC will be in there, maybe Oregon will be in there, but then you kind of wonder, okay, is it still viable? You know, is this still, is this economic, uh, 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 this, this economic model 
still viable or is it better for this to become a farm system? And because listen, this, the individuals that are going to be involved with these programs, they don't have, again, it's a control aspect. You know, when you have a franchise, these people are in control of, of not only the money, but the end result of what goes on. I mean, that's the great thing about Phil Knight. We talk about deep pockets and talk about donors. Phil Knight, what we've seen outlined by Oregon Live, and they did a great piece on it. The big thing about Phil Knight is when he writes a check, he makes that check go to where he wants it to go. He makes yeah. sure that the money he's spending gets to the right place. It's not a, hey, you know, I love my school. Here's a check for, you know, $10 million. Go use it for football. And he gives it to some administrator and it just, you know, disappears into the night, right? I think there's a lot of that that had gone on at USC in the past. And I think they're better about it now. I think the administration is obviously doing a better job of it. And I think the boosters perhaps are doing a better job of it. They're realizing if I'm going to donate, I need to make sure my money is going to the right place. I cannot just write a check, forget about it. And that's what Phil Knight has shown us is that he does not write checks and forget about it. He's got Nike employees walking through the halls of Oregon. So that's, that's control that, that a lot of administrators do not allow boosters and donors, right? Maybe at some schools, some schools, maybe, but not many. And at some point, do these donors that are giving millions of dollars to these players, do they say, you know what? Why don't we just have our own franchise? Like, why are we, what is this middleman university thing? Like, yeah, that was great, you know, for, for a few years. But, I mean, wouldn't it be better just to start our own amateur league at some point, some farm system, and get and, and, and get connected in with the NFL and help the NFL help us find it? I, you know, I just don't know. I don't know how it happened with, with, with Major League Baseball. Maybe that's a, a, a historic question for Shotgun. But I do wonder if that fork on the road comes along and the and all of a sudden the university just kind of becomes a middleman for for this football, you know. I do know because I've heard you talk about this before, but I know you could go for hours on this and talk about that topic of the future of college football. But I gotta keep you back on track, Gerard. I gotta keep you back on track, um, because I think it's time for us to kind of transition into the rest of our show. We spent. Gosh, we're going on like close to an hour on this. I'm just NIL and Josh Connolly, and I know that's what some people wanted, but this this question from Eric in Duck Country is going to be a good segue until the second half of our show. And he wants to know, Chris and Gerard, after losing out on Josh Connolly, are there any five-star 2023 O-line recruits that USC is in a good spot with? And that, the answer is yes. And that can kind of lead us into your April target list that you put up this morning, recording this on a Wednesday, I know you've been working on those for a while, and could you kind of briefly just kind of explain what the target lists are? They are they are a VIP content item that you put up monthly, um, so we're not going to give you all the details about it, but I figured that you could talk a little bit about um, what this April target list looks like. Yeah, you just explained it pretty good. Uh, oh, okay. Precisely. There, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all the targets that USC is recruiting per cycle. Uh, so we had 2022, 2023. Uh, we will have 2024. That's in the making. Um, so it's every player that at this point USC has offered a scholarship to in the 2023 class. And it basically just lists height and weight, where they're from, stars, and where they're trending. So it's a very just sort of easy, quick look 
at, um, you know, what the board looks like for USC instead of searching for players or, or going through offers or what have you, you just really can just look at it per page and just fly through it and go, okay, that's, that's who USC, um, is, is interested in and recruiting. And these are the players that have interest in USC. Uh, so, you know, this month, uh, obviously offensive line would, would be the segue from uh, the Josh Connerly recruitment. Uh, which I apologize for those who, who did not want to hear anything about it and wanted us to just gloss over it. I know it's NIL that, that really gets us hung up on that whole situation. And it's just something we're going to be talking about a lot in the future. And it's, um, you know, it is what it is. We, we kind of saw it with Caleb Williams and now we're looking at it and it's, it's going to be something that's going to rear its ugly head, uh, a bunch of times here in the, in the future. Um, but for USC with offensive linemen in 2023, uh, yeah. And we talked about it kind of already. We talked about, uh, Francis Magoa, uh, Isaiah Robinson, Lucas Simmons. Um, you know, Magoa right now is ranked the number two offensive tackle in the nation. Uh, originally, uh, I think he's originally from, uh, Samoa, but Samoa, yeah. In, same, in there, same, same town as Sean Nua. Sean Nua. Defensive line coach. I want to say he spent some time in Australia as well yes. before moving to California and he actually played at St. Aquinas High School in San Bernardino. San Bernardino. Yep. And when they had the pandemic shutdown of 2020, uh, he was recruited by IMG Academy to go out there and play. And that is where he currently resides, but still has a great relationship with Sean Nua, as you said, uh, both Samoans. And, um, you know, that's something that, uh, it was really working well for Michigan when Sean Nua was at Michigan. And now Sean Nua being in California, it really even helps them even more. Uh, so that's sort of, you know, top target for USC, Lucas Simmons. We saw just uh, take an unofficial visit to USC a few weeks ago. Rave about that uh, unofficial visit. Six seven, three hundred pounds. Originally, originally from Sweden, so also an international player. Um, Isaiah Robinson, a guy that you know talked up about USC a lot. He was last at USC to our knowledge was just last year during the season. He's going to be a tough one to get away from Texas. Six six, two hundred eighty pound offensive tackle, but uh, potentially uh, could uh, give USC a long look. Um, those are the kind of the immediate impact player type guys that USC is looking at in the 2023 class. I think those three are sort of the guys that, you know, potentially could come in and push for playing time. As I said in the Josh Connolly piece, I don't think as, you know, head coach, you really don't want to have a true freshman left tackle. <laughs> you know, you don't want to have to start them. Uh, maybe five, six games into the season, you feel a little better about that. But without any spring ball to have a, a true freshman come in and start from day one, is uh, is a bit dicey for your quarterback. Um, it does help that Caleb Williams is uh, mobile, and I talked about that a little bit in that piece as well. I, I think you know that's going to help USC's offensive line even more. They've had a pocket quarterback the past few years, and um, having a quarterback that can get outside the pocket and uh, can can really test the pass rush and and gouge the pass rush if if you get a little undisciplined upfield. Uh, on the edge, you know, Caleb could step up and, and all of a sudden run for 30, 40 yards. And so I think the approach of, of blitzing and attacking him in the pocket is going to be a little different uh, for defenses. And so um, that helps USC as well, having a mobile quarterback. And um, But in terms of offensive linemen, for the 2023 class, that's that's sort of the three guys that sort of pop off um, the, uh, the, the target list right now. Again, those are a VIP content item for our uscfootball.com. Come on in, subscribe. You'll get access to all of those. Uh, but, Gerard, is there anybody, maybe like a riser or faller for each side of the ball that you kind of wanted to highlight a little bit? 
Well, I mean, I think uh, for the offensive side of the ball, things haven't really changed too, too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's still going to be really interesting to see what USC is able to do at the running back position. We talked about that before. They they really need to sign two running backs. They've needed to sign two running backs, and they've kind of been able to go on the portal a little bit and get some depth. But I think they'd really love to get two solid running backs out of high school in this class. And you've got Ruben Owens, who uh, might be able to make it for his unofficial visit for the spring game at USC. He's, he's still talking about that, um, still making those plans with uh, his family. He's going to be difficult to get out of Texas. He hasn't really moved too much in, in terms of having that medium interest. And when we list interest, we have high, medium, and low. High being USC's in the top three for that particular prospect at that particular month, month time of the month. Um, and if it's medium, it, it's there's potential that he could still officially visit USC. So we're talking top five, top six or seven. Um, and then low being that USC's really not looking like they're going to get an official visit from that prospect. They look like they're on the outside looking in. So, um, you know, Owens is still potential uh, to get that. I mean, he, he told me, or his dad, excuse me, told me flat out, Ruben Sr., that they are going to officially visit USC this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're making those plans for June. So um, he has medium interest. Uh, Cedric Baxter Jr., a guy that you could argue has maybe USC in the top three, and, and maybe he should have high interest. Um, but I think with those Florida schools, it's going to be tough to get him away from Florida. You know, he's he's moved up now to be the number two running back overall in the nation by 24-7 sports. So he's, he's a guy that would be probably in that five-star level as we get to the end of the year. Um, that would be a huge get for USC, 6'1", 220, or 215 from Orlando, Florida. Um, a bigger back that, you know, USC really hasn't had. Um, they did lose out on Mark Fletcher, who committed to Ohio State last week, who was a, another big guy, a guy that we talked to, um, just a few weeks ago at the, uh, battle, or excuse me, it was a pylon tournament, uh, passing tournament. He didn't really play much in that tournament, but he came out and he unofficially visited USC and hey, he hiked about the USC. ball. What was he that? He hiked the ball. He hiked the ball. Well, he, yeah, I saw him. I mean, he didn't even, he didn't actually do that all the time either, but yeah, he hiked the ball for them, um, for a seven on seven tournament. Uh, big boy, man, big, big kid and raved about USC, uh, talked like USC was going to be a school that, you know, he's for sure going to official visit. And, and, you know, he may still officially visit, you know, just because these kids commit, it right. doesn't mean a whole lot, uh, unless he's got some type of NIL deal that's a contract that says you can't visit any other schools, which again, I mean, this is part of this NIL stuff, which is going to be interesting. Um, you know, he may still end up uh, visiting USC. Uh, so there's some some kids that, you know, they could commit and, and what have you and still pop up on campus uh, over the summer. I mean, we saw that with Raleigh Brown last year. You know, he's committed to Oklahoma, you know, said he wasn't really going to look at any other schools. And he popped up at USC like, I don't know, like four times during the summer. And that was when Clay Helton was still the coach. So, uh, yeah, that, that can happen. But uh, the running back position is, is – there's a lot of medium interest there. You know, you talk to a player, uh, Quentin Joyner, who had just uh, yeah. officially visited USC. Yeah, I mean, that kind of ties into kind of the, the visitor weekend that USC kind of kind of put forth uh, this past weekend. Quentin Joyner, four-star, uh, all-purpose back kind of guy out of Texas. He he was there unofficially. Walker Lyons, the big top 100 tight end out of Folsom, I believe. He, he came down for a visit. Uh, Brandon Baker the 2024 offensive tackle who was newly minted as the number two uh, offensive tackle in the class. He went down. He was just, he was just at USC uh, like a week and a half ago. So he was back for a quick second visit. So that's a good sign. But yeah, Joyner, this was his first time out, made the trip with his parents. I believe he's at 
he's at Oregon these last couple of days. He went from uh, USC to Oregon. Uh, but he really enjoyed his visit, you know, really likes uh, Coach Kyle McDonald, likes the vibe. You know, he said, you know, after visiting, you know, they offered him back in February. You know, after getting on campus, he said, you know, USC is in my top five. So there is serious interest there, and he's working out an official visit for this summer. So it seems like USC is in a, in a good spot for him, especially when there's been some reshuffling of the the, the running back board. It seems like Roderick Robinson has really moved up. Um, for, for them on this board, he's been on campus multiple times, uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, Joiner's kind of moving up there. Richard Young is a guy that USC was left off his, his top schools list. As you mentioned, Mark Fletcher, he left USC off his top school, schools list and ended up committing to Ohio State. So you have some guys that were kind of high on USC early, kind of, you know, looking elsewhere. So gonna have to do a little bit of a shift, uh, with that, with that board. So yeah, Joiner, Came away impressed with his visit. Parents loved the trip. So, you know, I would expect him back um, for an official visit this summer. And, again, that's sort of what Fletcher said. So take that with a grain of salt. But, you know, it sounds like USC is going to be involved there. Yeah, Tony Mitchell said that as well. I mean, you know, listen, I, maybe even going back to Connerly, this is a little bit of a reality check for, for Trojan fans as well. That, you know, hey, snap our fingers, Lincoln Riley. He was uh, in the college football playoff with Oklahoma. We're going to be there next year. It's just going to happen that quickly. Um, it's not. There's work to be done. And, and again, this is a situation where Riley's never really built a program. Uh, you know, he went to Oklahoma and Oklahoma was rolling with Bob Stoops. And so this is a different situation where he's got to sell some kids, uh, on a football team that only won four games last year. And so we're going to have to see, you know, what kind of momentum they're going to have coming out of the summer. I think if it's going to be this great, class that they want to have in 2023 which you know people even the recruits themselves uh has said they're they're going to have an amazing class for 2023 uh, i think you want to get you know that you want to get in a double digit commits coming out of the summer and you want to have some real quality players and so we're, we're going to see you know if, if sc's able to do that if they're able to close with some of these names um going into the season because uh, if you're not then you really have to have a great season you know, you really have to go ahead and, and, and blow people away and win the Pac-12 and go win a Rose Bowl. Um, and even, you know, winning the Rose Bowl won't happen until most of these guys have already signed. So that makes it tough. You know, you you want to have a, a lot of momentum on the field. If you want to start swaying guys that may commit over the summer, and there's a lot of them every year that commit over the summer. Uh, if they commit to the, to other schools over the summer and you have to try to get them away from that commit, you got to do some things during the season. you got to wow some people during the season. And we just don't know if USC is really going to be able to do that. There's a lot of confidence coming from the coaching staff. You know, there was a lot of bravado coming in that, hey, we can turn this thing around quickly. You know, uh, Lincoln Riley didn't necessarily give himself a lot of margin of error when he, when he started talking about that initially when he, uh, had his first speech uh, to the Trojan, uh, the faithful, you know, about turning it around quickly and, and winning quickly and not waiting around for it. Uh, whereas, you know, you know, most coaches would say, hey, you know, it's a, we're, we're going to see where we, we, we are, you know, after spring ball and we're going to see where we are after fall camp and, and not necessarily try to raise expectations that USC could, uh, you know, could compete for a conference title maybe right out of the gate. And um, so we'll see. We'll see. But I, I, we talked about it before, the difference between having a, a really, really good class, a top 10 class and, and maybe not a top 10 class is probably that seven, eight win mark. You know, that's where sort of the line gets drawn, I think, for a lot of people as to, you know, was this a really, was this a good year? 
well, you know, it depends. How many games did you win? You know, eight wins or seven wins? You know, for me, it's more like how you – I was saying this the other day. How you lose to me in the first year is as important as how many games USC wins. It's, it's really how competitive they are in, in those losses. Uh, we saw with Pete Carroll when he first came in, you know, they went six and six. But every one of those games, USC clearly was a better team than they were the year before previous years. And they just, there was just a play or two, you know, that they just didn't make. And you knew if they can recruit a couple better players and they can get a couple guys and they coach a couple guys up, they're going to win these games. And all of a sudden that's, I mean, every game on the roster, on the, on the schedule. And so that's what happened. <laughs> they won every game on the schedule. So that's what you want to see. You want to stop seeing blowouts, you know, blowout losses. Uh, where, you know, USC is just not in it, not competitive. They didn't prepare right. We saw that with Clay Helton where there was just some games where it was just clear that they were outclassed uh, from a preparation standpoint. So we'll see that, and and, and that's going to determine uh, ultimately what this class looks like. But um, the summer is going to be sort of a prelude as to, you know, the salesmanship and the recruiting ability of the coaching staff, uh, how much faith they can build with recruits that are going to want to eventually see what the product looks like on the field. I think that's a good point to kind of take our break uh, for this episode. So when we get back, we'll talk about some good news. You know, USC did pick up a pretty big commitment. So we're going to get your thoughts on that, get my thoughts on that. So with that, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Gerard, how was your break? It was wonderful. It always is, isn't it? Always is. Went by so quick, I <laughs> hardly caught my breath. <laughs> so we we started the show talking about how USC missed out on a commitment. So let's talk about a commitment that USC did pick up this week on Monday. USC added the the services, the commitment of four star top 247 linebacker Dylan Williams at a Long Beach Poly. He is considered a super athletic athletic uh, prospect, six foot two and a half, 200 pounds. He's rated the number 95 overall prospect in the 24-7 sports composite, number 16, number 16 linebacker, 221 in the 24-7 sports rankings, uh, number 14 linebacker by our rankings, uh, had offers from Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, you know, a good healthy dosage of, of early offers, Michigan State, Oregon State, Utah, 
TCU. So USC's keeping uh, the local kid off of a 1600 athletic Atlantic Avenue, kind of getting that pipeline rebuilt a little bit. Uh, he is the second Long Beach Poly commit in the 2024 class, along with uh, Jason Robinson Jr., uh, also out of Long Beach Poly. And they're also joining uh, four-star athlete Aaron Butler, the Calabasas athlete. So very, very SoCal clash right now. Currently rated number two in the nation. Uh, Williams committed on Monday. Uh, Gerard, reaction to USC's new 2024 commit? Yeah, we thought maybe Dylan was going to wait a little bit. You know, he initially got that scholarship offer and uh, grew up a USC fan and, and loved USC. And it seemed like it was inevitable that he might commit, you know, sooner rather than uh, commit before he'd be able to see more schools. Um, but a guy that's uh, super athletic, plays off the edge, um, plays his space really well, uh, about 6'2", 205, long. Uh, I think um, probably a guy that, that that maybe moves inside for USC. It, it's, it's harder to whether he would grow into being more of a Sam, which, you know, we kind of have to see how they use these linebackers. We haven't really seen a whole lot uh, in it for, for any team periods for USC this spring to really know how they're moving these guys around. Uh, but he could kind of do either or. He could be maybe a Will and put on 10, 15 pounds uh, or stay on the outside and be more of a Sam. Um, but uh, he has that potential because he's athletic and he can play in space and he's a fast player. And that's the thing that we've seen USC just try – to improve on most with their linebackers is speed, you know, just get faster guys, um, guys like Tackett Curtis, who, you know, plays safety. He's really more of a free safety, a single high safety for his high school football team, but a guy that is probably going to move down and end up playing Mike linebacker, win linebacker uh, wherever he goes in college. So um, those type of players are what, you know, USC is really looking for more. They do have guys like Victory Johnson also, you know, who's a 6'4", 6'3", 230-pound linebacker out of San Diego who uh, is very high on USC. He's a guy that's moved up in the target list for 2023. Uh, that's a linebacker who you look at and you go, all right, is he a guy that you really want to put on the edge at that size or is he a guy that you try to make more of a linebacker and move inside a little bit with him? Um, I think that's a little bit of either or. And, you know, how USC sells it in the recruiting process and where they end up playing is, is maybe sometimes two different things. So we're going to have to see when they get on the field uh, where some of these guys fit. And, and I think first and foremost, where they have their current linebackers, where they end up playing um, to see kind of where these guys that are being recruited project. Because, you know, we know the body types and we know uh, these players that are on the roster right now. Uh, we've seen some movement uh, from some of those players. And so seeing how they fit into the grand scheme of the scheme, uh, we'll see and be able to project better. Uh, some of these guys like Dylan Williams and Victory Johnson, um, Tackett Curtis, so on and so forth, uh, these type of players that are, are not necessarily playing the position now in high school that they will play in college. And overall, just a really good local pickup for them. Uh, I was reading uh, a commitment story from just plugging some of my my friends out in Long Beach at the 562. They did a really good piece on sort of Williams' commitment and sort of the historical significance that Long Beach Poly and USC have always had. I know you've made some trips down there. You know, it's it's obviously one of the the premier pipeline schools that USC has had in their time. You know. We can rattle off names after names of guys that have come out there and become Trojans. Uh, the pipeline kind of died down a little bit in the last couple of seasons. I think that was sort of a connection of, you know, USC maybe pushing a little bit more into Texas. 
under the the previous staff and also you know Long Beach probably did did go through a little bit of a period where the talent pool for them wasn't as strong as it had been in years past that seems to be coming back uh now but Williams kind of talked about how Lincoln Riley made one of his first stops Long Beach probably and kind of told him that you know he plans to rebuild that pipeline at at Poly and you know make them a priority him Dale and Austin uh, 2023 cornerback out of Long Beach Poly. They already have Jason Robinson in the fold. So, you know, USC is looking good right now for a trio of Jackrabbits. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, you want to be able to have those schools um, that you have locally that, that you know you can kind of depend upon and you have a, a, a sort of a foot in the door, um, an, an advantage. And so USC's got to, you know, we talk about building the wall. You know, this is just an extension of, of that and continuing to get the local players. And, um, you know, we talked about uh, uh, Josh Connerly perhaps being like the Sean Cody of that uh, Lincoln Riley era, you know, sort of that 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 cornerstone recruit. Um, that's not going to happen. Uh, but there's guys going to be in this 2023 class that uh, you're going to have to build around and they're going to have to, the whole class really, it's because it's, it's, this is not a transitional class. This is going to be really the first class for Lincoln Riley and this coaching staff. So they're going to have to build uh, around some of these players. And these are the guys, uh, 2023, 2024, which are really going to be looked upon as the players that um, are sort of make or break for the staff as to whether they're able to reach the expectations that Trojan fans have. And some of his stats from last season. Polly did have a really good season last year. They, they went on to win the, the CIF championship. Don't ask me what division because I do not remember off the top of my head, but he recorded 48 tackles, 11.5 tackles for a loss in 14 games. He also committed two sacks, broke up two passes and recovered two fumbles. So pretty productive year for, you know, a young sophomore who did battle some injuries at times. Um, but yeah, six foot two, 200 pounds, really nice pickup. Uh, for the Trojans in that class. Gerard, speaking of 2024, last, last, uh, podcast, we talked about some pretty big crystal balls that went in for five-star quarterback Dylan Riola, the number one overall po- prospect in the 2024 cycle. We're back again talking about a Riola crystal ball, but not for a USC one. He recently this week picked up a crystal ball for Ohio State, uh, from our, one of our national guys, Steve Wilfong, uh, Rayola is coming off a recent visit to the Buckeyes, so maybe a little bit of just kind of a recency bias pick, you know, maybe feeling really good coming off that visit. Reaction to that? Well, we talked a little bit about, you know, Lincoln Riley uh, coming from Rayola saying that he was going to be the only quarterback that he was going to recruit in that class. And so, it again, you know, brings us back to, uh, what has happened to USC in the past when Clay Helton had done that? And, and I didn't, don't see the, necess- the necessity in sort of shutting down all your options, um, that early in the process. You know, I, I don't think anybody, you know, from Riola's side was saying, Hey, listen, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna recruit us, then we're the only guys you talk to. You know, I, I think as a commit, that might be the case. Um, you know, obviously you want to, have him commit and then you say, all right, you know, you're our guy and, and you're the only quarterback we're taking in the class and we're not talking to anybody else. I've, you know, had a couple sources say that, you I mean, USC has literally stopped talking to all these other quarterbacks in the 2024 class, like literally not taking phone calls from guys like, uh, Isaac Wilson, um, out of, uh, Utah, uh, the younger brother of Zach Wilson, 
Um, I think uh, Julian Sand, who's down at Carlsbad, who's one of the top quarterbacks uh, in the class. Some people believe he might be the top quarterback in the class and wanting to unofficially visit USC and USC saying, no, you know, we, we kind of have uh, our sights set on one particular player and you're not him. And that definitely, if that's, I mean, I, I believe that to be true because I'm hearing that from pretty good sources. Um, that makes it difficult to be able to pivot if, in fact, you lose a guy like uh, Dylan Riola. You know, if you lose that guy that you kind of put all your eggs in that basket, uh, then you've got to pivot and you got to, you know, try to recruit these other players. And so, um, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, they may be able to still get him, uh, but we know Ohio State and, and Georgia is another school that has uh, come up as a school that uh, the family is still very interested in. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously Ohio State feels somewhat confident uh, with him, and uh, there's been a lot of talk about that over the past week or so. And so we'll see if uh, USC is able to kind of rekindle, get him back on campus, because I think he's going to be back on campus for USC. Uh, and, um, again, it closed the deal. You know, that's what it kind of comes down to, closing the deal. And maybe this is another NIL situation, and we're talking about a 2024 <laughs> recruit, which is, uh, you know, uh, down the line a bit. Um, and I don't even know how that really works uh, for players in Arizona. I know it's legal for players in California, but uh, that's still nationally, uh, not in every state, legal, you know, for uh, high school players to be able to receive any NIL money. So, yeah, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of stuff to uh, still kind of see how it plays out. Um, but certainly, I mean, my opinion is still that um, – you know, if you've got options, why eliminate them yourself? You know, allow somebody else to eliminate those options for you. Uh, I think, uh, you know, USC should should kind of keep um, keep those options open in recruiting. And uh, if uh, Dylan Raylo commits and he's your guy, then you say, all right, we shut it down. We're not talking to any of the quarterbacks. But until that point, I, I don't think it's good to shut your relationships uh, down with, uh, you know, other options because they may end up being the guys that uh, you want to bring in. And obviously that was a – Massive, massive issue with Helton's recruiting staff, however many variations you wanted of it, especially with the quarterbacks. I mean, they were, they kind of lucked out with that last class becoming getting Miller Moss and Jackson Dart in the same class, which is no easy task, but we have talked about it numerous times how USC would kind of fall off on these relationships and be left scrambling at the end. They would have to kind of pick up whoever they, they could find. And then, you know, with the quarterback, they also tried the one quarterback system or one quarterback recruiting system against, uh, Lincoln Riley himself with Malachi Nelson. And that ended up falling to the wayside and they had to go and pivot to Nico. And, you know, Nelson kind of came out and said he was kind of surprised by that offer. It was this whole big thing. So yeah, if it works, it works. But if it doesn't, it really doesn't. So kind of hope that that kind of plays out, uh, for them because there are really a, a lot of good 2024 quarterbacks in this cycle, especially on the West Coast, West Coast between Saiyan and then obviously you got the the young sophomore that everyone has been buzzing about since the freshman year in uh, Elijah Brown over there at Modern Day who Dante Williams did offer during his time as the interim. So there are plenty of options, but it looks like, as you, as you mentioned, Lincoln Riley lasered in on uh, Dylan out there in a uh, in Arizona. So something we're going to have to be talking, we will be talking about in the future as we move closer and closer to that, that cycle. And as these quarterbacks, you know, go through their, go through their junior season. Speaking of quarterbacks, I did want to mention quickly that 
in addition to some of the visitors that USC brought on last week. I mentioned Walker Lyons, uh, Quentin Joyner, uh, Brandon Baker. They did have a couple big visitors at the Tuesday practice. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, Malachi Nelson was there. You know, he was taken in. He's a committed prospect. You know, he's doing his part. He was talking a lot to 2023 uh, four-star cornerback Caleb Presley, the Washington cornerback out of Rainier Beach. I know fans are shuddering a little bit because that is the same school as Josh Connerly, but Presley was in town. Uh, this is his second visit this spring. I talked to him at that uh, passing event at, was it Thousand Oaks, Gerard? I'm I'm blanking on where it was exactly, but he was there with uh, FSP. He had just come off that visit. He got that reoffer from Dante Williams and Lincoln Riley. Very excited about USC and sort of the recruitment of him. Dante said he's one of his top guys. He wants him. And to get him back, he, he had told me he was planning another unofficial with his parents. So good good to see that he followed through on that. Malachi Nelson was in his ear a lot. They were joined at the hip at practice. So, you know, just QB1 doing a little bit of recruiting for 2023. Yeah, and, I mean, he's very good in those situations. And, I and, you know, I think that's a, a real advantage for USC when he can be around um, those other recruits. And so – you know, the, the recruits themselves have talked a lot about how this is going to be a really big class for USC. And, um, certainly it's the potential to be that. And you look at, uh, the cornerback position for USC, you know, there's been some, some jostling there. You know, uh, I think Roderick Pleasant, the 5'10, 180 pound cornerback from Sar- uh, Sarah Gardena High School is still, uh, very high on USC. And I think USC is very high on him. Uh, the track star who's, uh, just kind of getting going in track right now. He's, uh, running in that 10-5 area. I know he's talked about running a 10-1, um, earlier in the year or, 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 you know, at the very least a 10-2. So we'll see if he can get his times down. I mean, he's run, uh, in that 10-3, um, area. So he's, uh, certainly can run a lot faster than, uh, he's been running. And that's going to start to pick up, I think, over the next couple months. Um, you know, Dalen Austin is another Long Beach Poly kid, like you talked about. Uh, which, uh, I think has a lot of high interest in USC, six foot, 175 pounds, uh, a little longer, leaner, uh, not necessarily the speedster that Pleasant is, uh, but a guy that's a, a quality cornerback that USC, uh, I, I think has high on their list because they've been pushing to try to get him on campus as much as possible. So it definitely helps that he's got, um, you know, Jason Robinson Jr., who's the receiver in the 2024 class committed to USC. And now, uh, you've got Dylan Williams committed in the 2024 class. Uh, trying to, uh, you know, work a little bit on Dalen Austin and uh, trying to get him uh, to get uh, committed. So, I mean, I, those are kind of the two local guys that stand out. And Aaron Williams is a guy I think that had a lot of high interest in USC. Uh, he hasn't been down to USC in a while and uh, took an unofficial visit to Louisville. And Louisville's been doing some things um, that uh, have some kids that, you know, are interested in going over there now. Um, DeAndre Moore is another kid that went to Louisville on an unofficial visit and says he's going to take an official visit there. So there's a handful of kids in Southern California that are, that are liking Louisville. So, you know, they're, they're, they're doing some things to, to get the attention of some of these players. And, um, so Aaron Williams has kind of dropped down to like medium interest for USC now. Uh, Christian Gray is a guy who unofficially visited early on in the process. I think USC has slipped a little bit with him, uh, over the past few months. Um, might still get an official visit from him. So he's still got that medium interest, but, um, you know, uh, Dejon Johnson, uh, is a guy who came out for an unofficial visit, uh, from Tampa, Florida. He plays, uh, for the high school Wharton, uh, out there in Tampa, Florida, which is, uh, head coach, uh, Mike Williams, 
who's a former USC wide receiver. And so uh, he's a guy that's uh, already got his official visit to USC scheduled, I believe. I want to say it's the 13th or the, 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 the 16th um, of June. I think it's that third week of June. Um, I'll have to double check on that, but he's already got his official visit already scheduled for USC. So that's uh, a guy that's, um, you know, potentially going to be able um, to uh, be a realistic uh, option for USC at the cornerback position. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's uh, several guys and Dante Williams. One thing that we've always said about Dante, he always seems to have options. He recruits himself yeah. into having some quality guys that are on campus and that's, very big. That's important. You've got to at least have these guys on campus to have a shot at them. And uh, when when coaches aren't doing their due diligence on the recruiting trail, it's, you know, they have two or three guys that they're recruiting. And if they don't get those two, three guys and, you know, you're off to East Texas trying to recruit some kid from Bladeswater <laughs> or the, the, the border there between Louisiana and, and Texas or something. Jordan, are you ready for some questions? Yeah. Which is a question in itself. It is a so, question in itself. Yeah. So I, I, do we have questions? I don't we know. We have a couple questions. We have, you know, I, I threw two of them up at the top, um, for the Connerly section, but we have about three questions I'm seeing here. And again, we love taking questions. Gerard loves it. It's his favorite part of the show. If you have a question for us, you can email at us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Make sure you put in the header or in the the intro of your your question or your email, whatever, just say two-star podcast, composite, the recruiting guys, Christian Gerard, whatever. We have someone who who kind of goes through the through the questions and kind of sends them off to wherever they need to go. So those will come to us. So again, podcast at uscfootball.com if you want to ask us some questions and we will get to your question. Will I always remember the name that was filed for the questions? Not always, because I'm having a little trouble with these right now, but it's okay. Uh, I apologize, but we'll get to it. So this first one uh, is from D from Mercad, California. I kind of said that with a little twang on it, Mercad, but <laughs> yeah, he wants to know, is it odd that DeAndre Moore has not been to any of the USC events? Is he a top priority for USC? Several war rooms ago, it was mentioned that Blake Purchase was USC's to lose. Purchase visited last week. What is his current current status? Um, some of these are a little bit dated. They're from a couple weeks ago because I believe DeAndre Moore has been on campus, Gerard. Correct. Yeah, he did take his unofficial visit to USC, uh, which was long awaited. And, um, you know, kind of kind of you could read between the lines there uh, about that. Um we talked about it a bit in the war room and we also had a story about it. So, you know, uh, I think they're both, uh, VIP. So if you subscribe, you read those already, but, um, I just, you know, the, the sort of cliff notes to it is that, yeah, USC definitely, um, recruiting him and USC has, uh, gotten back in the picture with him seriously. Uh, he's got medium interest in USC right now. You could probably argue high interest, uh, but we'll see. Through the process, it's, you know, there's, there's, um, some, some, some ground. I don't want to say make it up, but I mean, USC had to get back into things with him a little bit. And, uh, that's happened. I, I think that, uh, he feels good uh, about his uh, conversation with Lincoln Riley. Um, he wasn't really recruited to USC, uh, or excuse me, he wasn't recruited to Oklahoma by Dennis Simmons, the receivers coach. Uh, he was at that time going to Desert Pines High 
Las Vegas. So he was recruited to Oklahoma by DeMarco Murray. DeMarco Murray's still at Oklahoma. So, you know, when USC left and, and Murray's still at Oklahoma, there was nobody actually really recruiting USC. Uh, now Dennis Simmons is recruiting him as a receiver. And so, um, you know, he knows Dennis Simmons. He has some relationship with them. But now Dennis Simmons has taken over basically because his primary recruiter. So um, that really helps USC. And uh, he's definitely uh, uh, definitely an option for them uh, at wide receiver. And we saw him at the Pylon uh, event uh, a few, you know, last month. And he was as good. I, I think I talked about it on the podcast. He was as good as any player there. Uh, he was MVP. Yeah in my opinion, for their team that ended up winning the championship and showed us a lot. I mean, he showed us a lot of quick twitch and some things that we had not seen from him, you know, uh, in terms of his suddenness as an athlete, uh, looked a lot more explosive than I think that he had looked in the past. And in the past, he'd been hurt at Los Al uh, as a junior. And um, we haven't really seen him 100% healthy, and now he says he's 100% healthy, and he looked really good in that passing tournament. So we'll see uh, going forward uh, if we get to see a little more of him and certainly next season we want to see more of him, but it looks like he's, you know, potentially got a place in, uh, in the bigger picture for USC, who, um, you know, LaSalle, you know, they've already got Makai Lemon committed. Uh, they've got uh, Malachi Nelson committed. Uh, another player out of Los Alamitos that I really like is Ethan O'Connor. I, I think he's a very underrated mm-hmm. player, um, that could play DB or receiver. I kind of, you know, feel like, like with DeAndre Moore, you kind of find a place for him. And I think with DeAndre Moore, one thing we talked about a little bit with him playing both ways, he he said he wanted to play both receiver and cornerback in college. I think the receiver aspect and sort of that that vision for him was sold harder at USC. He didn't really spend time with Dante Williams. He didn't really watch the cornerbacks very much. He spent most of his time with the receivers. And I think sort of his first love and where he wants to ultimately play in college. And so I think that was a big deal. Uh, seeing that part uh, of the of of what's going on at USC and sort of what the depth chart looks like and what their plans are um, in general, but um, but USC's got to continue to to work on that and continue to show him you know what their vision is and where he fits in specifically because they weren't necessarily detailed in uh, you know who he would be replacing or coming in for or this that and the other. Uh, one of the big things for him though uh, off the field is that uh, he wants to uh, get into anime. He wants to be uh, an art director or, or an animator. Um, and so, you say uh, anime. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he, so, uh, he, he, he loves anime and USC obviously has a, a great, uh, school for that. And, and the connections in LA for that are, are, are spectacular. Um, more so than you're going to get from, you know, Alabama or Oklahoma or some of these other schools that he's looking at. So I think, uh, DeAndre Moore is definitely, uh, a, a very high important target for USC at this point. Blake Purchase as well. I have not actually been able to talk to Blake. He plays basketball. So I uh, haven't been able to get a hold of him to talk a little bit about that uh, unofficial visit that he took. USC was definitely one of the schools that he was looking at. He's very high on. Uh, Iowa State's another school he's very high on. Um, you know, for him, it's going to be, you know, the, the the distance from home and, and you know, getting around the, the, the coaching staff and, and building that relationship more and more. He, he was at Oklahoma a bunch, and obviously Oklahoma's quite a bit close for him. Uh, so, um, you know, now he's just uh, kind of trying to rekindle that at USC. So we'll, we'll get in touch with him soon and, and get what his thoughts were on USC. But um, yeah, another guy that, um, you know, kind of so, a little like Dylan Williams uh, from the, but, but in the 2023 class, I think uh, Blake is a little taller 
uh, a little rangier at this point and probably more so going to be an edge player potentially if he can put on that weight. You know, he's playing basketball, so he's still, you know, at 215 range. Um, but that's a guy that, you know, he's a little more of a tweener, I think, off the edge in college, whereas I think Dylan, you probably take him off the line of scrimmage unless he grows a lot and he gets a little more height. I think, you know, 6'2 is a little, little, a little short to be on the line of scrimmage in these hybrid defenses. You want a guy that's 6'4. And so, uh, Blake kind of comes in around that range, uh, but he could still be a guy that maybe plays back a little bit, maybe more of a Sam backer, uh, position. Um, but we'll see in terms of alignment, what the linebacker position looks like at USC. They're going to have overhangs. They have, uh, Roy Manning, who's, you know, coaching the sort of nickels slash outside linebacker slash end spot. Um, so we'll see what that kind of ends up looking like again, when we get to see more team aspects of uh, practices than, than we have, we haven't seen any of those yet. So, I mean, the spring game might be the first time we actually see, uh, some, uh, live, you know, full contact team action. The discussion about Blake purchase actually sets up nicely for our next question that comes from David in central California, based on articles you guys have posted in. Sorry, my computer screen just went blank. That's embarrassing. Based on articles you guys have posted and following these players on Twitter, these groups of this group of players will make their verbal commitment right before their football season. Looks like USC has a great shot of landing these guys. Please give me your opinions. Cornerback Malachi Crawford, DB Christian Pierce, linebacker Leona Leifu, uh, defensive tackle Terrence Green, offensive tackle Elijah Page, offensive tackle Lucas Simmons, and defensive end Blake uh, Purchase, who you just talked about. But just off the top, you know, Malachi Crawford and Christian Pierce are two guys that have made multiple visits to uh, USC this spring. Pierce was a target for Oklahoma um, back when Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch were there. So there's already a big familiarity there. And Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley did a really good job of recruiting that St. Louis area where Pierce is from. Um I believe, you know, USC is in a, a good standing with him. Malachi Crawford as well. It seems like they're really putting putting on the effort to kind of bring him in. You know, he told this is he's visited twice this spring. He told me his plans are to come up to USC as much as he can this spring in the summer. I would expect him to be at the spring game if he is not attending um, another school spring game. And Elijah Page is someone I've talked about multiple times where I feel like USC is in a really good spot with him. You know, just talking to him, it sounds like he really likes what USC has to offer, really likes Coach Henson. You know, he's starting to blow up with some bigger offers. You know, he's picked up Notre Dame. Um, schools like that are starting to come in. He's a guy who could maybe boost up to that fo- that that four-star range. I think if, you know, USC gives him the green light, you know, that could be a commitment there. But we'll have to wait and see on that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of the other guys mentioned, Gerard. No, not really. Um, kind of, you know, <laughs> sums up sort of what's in the target list, you know, kind yeah. of reflects, you know, where we are with some of these guys and, and where they sit for USC. And yeah, there's two sides of the coin. There's, you know, the interest that they have in USC and some of the local players, you have to feel out, you know, where's USC with them, you know, cause they're still bringing in a bunch of guys nationally, you know, for unofficial visits. And if you're able to bring these guys in for official visits and they want to make a decision over the summer, then you kind of have to feel that out if, if, if they're higher on your board. And, um, you know, I, I think the USC coaching staff, them being new are also trying to kind of feel out 
what, what, you know, who, who can they really land? You know, who's going to buy in before the season for them? It kind of goes back to what we were talking about, the faith that they have in the coaching staff after an official visit before seeing what USC looks like on the field next season. And a lot of these kids like to commit over the summer. They want to get it done before the start of their senior season. Some of those top players out of state, are you going to be able to convince them uh, to commit? And then you kind of have those guys and then, you know, those kids that are local or, or just in the region, they might want to make decisions as well and they can get elsewhere. And then you kind of have to see what the season goes like because you get a guy like Mikel, uh Williams who, you know, you get a five-star guy over the summer, defensive end from Georgia, and you get that commitment, but, you know, the season doesn't go your way and you get the decommitment. And now you're scrambling for that local player that probably committed somewhere else and trying to get back into the door with that. It's it's a very difficult thing, you know, when the season can go can go south for you. You just don't know how that's going to go. Obviously, there's a lot of confidence with the coaching staff. They don't feel like they're going to have a bad season. But again, it's like, you know, you're coming away from four wins, and um, you don't have a ton of depth at quarterback. The offensive line questions still remain there. I think, uh, you know, the offensive line played well towards the end of the season. Clay McGuire really got a got a lot out of that offensive line. And I think that was a great move for USC to bring in somebody from a development standpoint. Um, but now it's a different, you know, different scheme and uh, a different approach completely. And so um, you would assume USC is going to win more games. It's just going to be how many and how many does it take to either keep those guys that are national, you know, a guy like, let's say, Braxton Myers. I know that he wasn't listed on that list. But Braxton Myers, a 6185 185-pound four-star free safety from Coppell, Texas, or as they like to say, Capel sometimes. Capel. Um, Capel, Texas. Uh, Braxton Myers, he, he unofficially visited USC a few weeks ago and really, really likes USC. Um, he's got some other schools that are on him. Clemson's really on him. And Clemson doesn't usually have official visitors during the summer, but it sounds like they're probably going to change that policy because there's so many kids that are committing. So Braxton Myers is going to show up during USC's big recruiting weekend. And so they've got a weekend that's already sort of planned out and they've already going to have a bunch of national guys there. You're probably going to have your Ruben Owens during that weekend. You guys like Braxton Myers, Melki Nelson, so on and so forth. And so, you know, this is a kid that they obviously like a lot, but you know, is he ready to commit to USC at that point? Having not seen what USC looks like during the season, if he is, you know, how many wins you got a game to keep or get during the season to keep him committed to where he doesn't all of a sudden start to waver and say, ah, maybe I want to go to Clemson. You know, they won more games. They turned their season around. You know, they, there's more cohesiveness there. NFL draft, you know, there's, there's all these things that go on. So, um, yeah, we're, you just kind of have to wait and see. We can't predict that. I, I can't predict that USC is going to have this guy, that guy. You know, we, 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 we kind of predicted that they were going to have a good summer based on, um, all of the official visitors that they had last summer. Um, and they ended up getting so many really good players on campus. I mean, it was got to take your hat off to the coaching staff during that summer. They really got a lot of guys that were top players on campus last summer. It was a really, really good group during that month of official visitors. And they turned down a bunch of guys as well. There was guys that they turned down that they felt that were just trying to come out for free trips, guys like Harold Perkins who are like, hey, yeah, I'll come out to visit USC, give me seven plane tickets for my family. And they're like, nah, no, 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 no. And so you had some guys that they even turned down. From that group, 
they just weren't able to turn around the commits. You know, they got Mikel Williams, and then they weren't able to get Christian Miller. They weren't able to get this guy and that guy, and it was like, oh, oh. And that's those kids that were hesitant because they wanted to see. I really like USC, but I really want to see if Clay Helton's going to be around. I want to see if they can actually win some big games. And Both of those were no. Yeah, the answer to that was no, and, <laughs> and it was emphatic. And so, you know, everything kind of falls apart on you. So, that, and that's sort of the difference between some of the national guys and the local guys. Local guys, you might be able to keep them in the mix a little longer, even if you don't have a good season. But the national guys are going to be a lot of other programs that are going to be in their ear. And so, you know, you're kind of uh, putting your eggs in that basket and you, you know, you're sort of, um, you know, potentially, you know, setting yourself up for failure if you're not able to follow up on the, uh, during the season. But again, if you are and USC goes out and they win nine games, 10 games next year, you know, and you're like, you're, you're in the Rose Bowl. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's a whole nother level of, of class. And, and then if you get some of these national guys that, uh, want to commit during the summer and you get eight guys, you get eight, 10 guys committed during the summer. And, you know, I, I could make a hypothetical class of guys. Uh, I mean, not off the top of my head right now, but that would definitely be like top 10, uh, nationally going, coming out of the summer. And then you win that many games and you, you're just going to stack, you know, that class with more good players in November, you know, kind of through the year and USC will have a really, really good class in 2023. But, you know, if they win seven games, then you kind of go, well, maybe not. Maybe, you know, they, they lose out on some of these national players that are not quite convinced that Lincoln Riley is going to turn it around at USC. As always, a detailed response from Mr. Gerard Martinez. Are you ready for the final question? The final question. Chris and Gerard, so every recruit gets a photo shoot with the Trojan toys, a.k.a. trophies, in full uniform. They all seem well-fitted. Does USC have like a 100 unis in a room for recruits to get fitted? Do recruits get the pick, the number they wear? Does staff do the, does staff do these custom for each recruit size, number, color? What do you know about this process and what happens? They also seem to go for different settings for the post shots. Some seem to be in a studio, others in the collie or on the field. I may be reading into it, but it seems very complex process to coordinate and execute apparently execute apparently and constantly almost constantly with the recruiting machine that is this new staff sorry i got a little jumbled there but basically they want to know about the the photo shoot process um i don't have like a clear answer if there's like i don't think there's like a hundred there's like a uh hundred uniforms somewhere in a warehouse i think there is a good selection of them that they use to to use for recruit photo shoots specifically, you know, whether they have like duplicates of, of said, uh, numbers, they have a lot to choose from. And I'm pretty sure they have a bunch of different sizes, you know, cause a running back and an offensive lineman aren't going to be able to wear, you know, they all can't just be the, the same number, you know, there's different variations and we see different, you know, types of players wear different numbers and different sizes. So there is a variation that they have and, Yes, they do have them at different locations. You know, some are at the Coliseum. I feel like most official visits are at the Coliseum. Most unofficial visits, they do them on the practice field at Howard Jones. You know, that they have the Heisman. They pose on that field. The new ones I've been seeing are sort of in the weight room. You know, there's some cool lighting that you can do there. I, I We've seen some of I know I know, uh, I believe Malachi Crawford has some with his, you know, holding the Heisman in the, uh, in the weight room. So, 
you know, just utilizing all the great space that they have there at USC. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a complex process. It's just like, you know, we're going to set this time up to do photo shoots for official visitors. They're going to, we're going to bring up the, this, we're going to bring the studio equipment to the collie. We're going to shoot the photos. We've seen them like before practice, you know, they, they just walk them out to the practice field, have a camera set up, do some shots and they go back in. It, it's not like a super detailed process. Um, just gotta have the, the right lighting, get the camera set up and shoot. Yeah, pretty much. I, I think, yeah, it, some of it is dictated by what, where the event is being held as well. Like yeah. if it's sometimes the junior days are at the Coliseum. So you'll see pictures at the Coliseum. Um, but yeah, most of the time it's on campus. So you'll see it at Howard Jones field. Uh, they have a place in, in, um, the McKay center where they can take shots as well. And those shots give you background. So I think for the guys that are commits that they want to be able to put, you know, USC backgrounds, you have to have a green screen. Um, they've been doing video as well for some yeah. guys, which is, which is a little newer and different. And, and they do that a lot at the Coliseum. Um, so yeah, it, it's not a complicated process. I think the complicated process is just the timing of, you know, the unofficial visits and getting everybody from point A to point B. And we've heard that uh, USC has been very organized. I mean, that's kind of been like a, a word that's been thrown around like by everybody we've talked to is how organized everything is. You know, it's just, it, they're very welcoming and everything is very well organized down to the minute as to, you know, what we're seeing and, and where we're going next. And that's important because you just don't want recruits to necessarily linger and you waste know, the time. Them. Just be efficient, be efficient. You got to be efficient in recruiting every moment that those kids are on campus. You've got to recruit them. You've got to do something to want them to stay uh, at that, at that university uh, on campus. And so, um, yeah, I, it, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a very interesting um, aspect of recruiting that has evolved over the past few years because it's, we can't take pictures of kids on campus. Yeah. Us, the media, we can't because USC says that that is interpreted as them using us to promote them through recruiting. Right. If that makes sense. It we, doesn't. But yes, go on. If we take a picture of a prospect on campus, then compliance is interpreting the NCAA rules as saying that they are they are going to use that as a way to, to say, hey, look at these kids. We're having fun on campus. Look at these pictures that the media took. But the NCAA is now allowing schools to be able to take video and photos directly themselves. They're able to take these photos and put them out and the kids can repost them um, because the kids are promoting them. And because the kids are promoting them, it's not necessarily being used as a recruiting tool. I don't know. It's very, very murky and it's not interpreted like that by all schools. You will see, uh, photos of recruits on campus at other schools, like I think Florida, Texas A&M, uh, where they're on campus. And that's not their compliance does not read the rules or interpret the rules the same way as USC does or, or, or some other schools. So it's very strange. Um, but that's been like a whole thing where, yeah, now like you just see mostly people, you know, whenever a kid visits a school, it's like, 
why do you use any of the photos that we've taken when you've got these professional shots shot by the university <laughs> of the kid yeah. in, in the, in, in the, in the, in the garb? I mean, you got, you know, Josh Connolly, like, what was I doing Friday? I was cutting, uh, Instagram photos of Josh Connolly that he put up from his USC visits where he's in USC uniform, you know, like that's, that's, that's the best picture to use. That's, you know, the, the, the most uh, relevant pictures to use, uh, but he didn't go to USC. So was so the Oregon site's going and they're just using uh, the pictures that he took when he was at Oregon. It's, it's, it's odd that, you know, we, we can't take those photos and say, Hey, look at these kids are on campus and what have you. Um, but yeah, that's the way it works. So it's, that's been like an, uh, a strange, you know, another sort of like doesn't make sense sort of NCAA rule that is now like commonplace. And so I, I don't know. It just seems like, um, uh, just another one of, of many of them where, you know, we're like from a compliance standpoint, it seems like everything's always sort of trying to catch up to, to the changing rules, you know? Absolutely. And I know shotgun is a big, that one makes shotgun bash his head into the wall sometimes because he wants to take photos of recruits and other schools do it like Florida state right now. Uh, Amaris Mims is on his official visit and there's, there's images of him on his official visit uh, at the hotel and video with reporters and, you know, they can post that stuff and it's fine for them. So it's just a weird sort of interpretation of it. And, you know, I'm hopeful that it will change um, under Lincoln Riley, you know, because I think it does. It'd be nice to be able to, you know, get pictures of kids in the Coliseum at games or, you know. And it's weird because we can do it when we're filming at a camp, you know, like the Rising Stars or whatever. And that just adds another whole another level of weird interpretation for for the rule. But yeah, I mean, but to go back to the original question, yes, it is a process. Yes, there is an efficient process under this staff. And, yeah, they have a bunch of different offerings for the kids to get their photos taken in. Gerard, that brings us to the end of our show. Someone dared us to go two hours and a, two hours and 30 minutes for this show to, to beat our last time. I don't know if we're quite there, but we're close. Um but I didn't get to do the question last week, so I want to do a quick one for you for this week, if you're down. Another question? Uh, the, the, the segment. Question? It's my, it's my turn to ask you a random oh, question. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your question, your just general question to, okay, yes. To try to dox me. Yes. Yeah, a little bit. I tried to dox you a little bit. Um, would you rather have great sleep or a great meal? Great sleep. And that's our show. <laughs> Rapid fire. I, Woo! I sort of thought that you were going to say sleep just because I know you have a interesting sleep schedule sometimes, war room nights. So I, I was, I was going to lean towards you doing sleep, but I thought it'd be a little bit of a more thought behind it. Well, you want more thought behind it. You're asking. No, I no, not. I thought there'd be aggressively trying to get my explanation as to why I answered the way I answered. Well, since you're already talking, (laughs) Uh, you need great sleep. You don't need a great meal. 
uh, you need great sleep or other things in your life are going to fall apart. And somebody that lives with three kids under the age of 10, I don't always get great sleep. So I try to get my uh, doctor recommended eight hours of sleep, uh, however I can, whether it's all at once or in bits and pieces. Bits and but pieces. yeah, great sleep is something that you, you need to be uh, mentally healthy and, and physically healthy. And uh, great meals are great. I love food, you know, uh, but um yeah, if I had to choose, yeah, I would definitely choose uh, great sleep because I just think that's uh, uh, health purposes is just more important. All right. And that's been the health corner with uh, Gerard Martinez. Uh, thank you for that as a one star host of this show and a five star health consultant. Uh, but legally, I have to say you are not a health professional and you cannot solicit his advice or that is true. Take his advice in that in that regard. So that is my legal disclaimer. Uh, Gerard, another great composite. Um, thank you so much for joining me again. Do you have anything else to say before we uh, tap out of this one? No, we're going to look forward to the spring game coming up and uh, what that looks like from a recruiting list standpoint. Uh, we're going to then uh, look and see what the other half of these transfers look like. You know, USC is going to have a bunch of more transfers. That's a great, that's a great way to put that, huh? a bunch of more transfers. Um, they're going to have more transfers. It's just going to be, you know, what's, what's going to be available because it seems like every day there's, uh, you know, some talented players that are ending up there. And, uh, are they going to be able to bring together, uh, a, a roster by the time we get to August that's, uh, going to be able to compete for a Pac-12 title? You know, and um, I can't wait to get to really start talking about the team in detail and getting into the, you know, sort of what we project and what we think and, you know, trying to get to that part of it. Obviously, this is a recruiting podcast, so we don't get too far into the weeds with that. But at some point, you know, we'll have a Peristyle podcast and we'll talk as a staff just about what we've seen during fall camp, what hopefully what we get to see, you know, <laughs> that's going to be the biggest question is, you know, what are we going to get to see to be able to make some educated opinions on what this team's going to look like next year? Because as always, it definitely impacts the recruiting process and what that recruiting class in 2023 is going to look like. So we finally shut the books on 2022. Now we look forward to 2023 and then 2024. Thank you again for listening to Composite Two-Star Recruits. We will catch you next time. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel. Streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.